to Sound Prince Audio Magazine, a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind. Sound Prince is underwritten by the American Printing House for the Blind and the Louisville Downtown Lions Club. I'm Carla Rushevel. I'm your host for this week's magazine. This is Sound Prince for the week of April 2, 2017. We have several news items this week. First, the Kentucky Council of Citizens with Low Vision, KCCLV, became KCB's eighth chapter at the March 20 meeting of the KCB Board of Directors. KCCLV is also a chapter of the Council of Citizens with Low Vision International, a special interest affiliate of the American Council of the Blind. The officers of the new chapter are Shirley Stivers of Bellevue, President, Amanda Selm, Vice President, Patty Cox, Secretary, and David Smith, Treasurer, all of Louisville, and Winter Renfro of Horse Branch, is chapter representative on the KCB Board of Directors. KCCLV already has 16 members, and it meets the first Tuesday of each month by conference call at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Each call will last about an hour and will include time for sharing information and asking questions about low vision. The dial-in number is 605-475-6006, and the call code is 294444. Everyone is welcome to participate. KCCLV and the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind also co-sponsor the new monthly low vision support group. This is a chance for people who are losing vision and their families to ask questions, get tips on low vision, and find out about resources that can help. The group meeting is the second Thursday of each month from 1.30 to 3.30 p.m., at United Crescent Hill Ministries in Louisville. Call 502-895-4598 for details and to find out how you can start a low vision support group in your area. We are sad to report that Carol Jones passed away last weekend and her funeral was at Hetty Crawley Funeral Home on Frankfurt Avenue on Wednesday, March 29. According to her obituary, Carol had 31 great-grandchildren and three great-great-grandchildren. Carol was a longtime member of the KSB Alumni Association, and she worked for many years as a proofreader at the American Printing House for the Blind. Carol first became involved with the Kentucky Council of the Blind when she helped with some public relations activities for the 1980 ACB convention held here in Louisville at the Galt House. Carol was a very creative writer, and she was the person who named Sound Prints because she said that the program was drawing word pictures and sound pictures of the world around us. Allison Flanagan has served as Executive Director of the Kentucky Office for the Blind for the past several years, and she has announced her retirement effective April 30. The Office for the Blind Statewide Rehabilitation Council, SRC, will be meeting on Friday, April 28, at the McDowell Center, and Cora McNabb will be giving the Executive Director's Report at the meeting in Allison's absence. Allison has done much good work in the agency with far too few resources, and we appreciate her hard work during often stressful times. 
If you are planning to attend the 56th Annual Conference and Convention of the American Council of the Blind, or if you're just curious about what's going on at the convention, you'll be interested to know that online and telephone pre-registration opens on May 24. The convention will be packed with hundreds of interesting speakers, workshops, tours, exhibits, and fun, and people will be there from all across the United States and several foreign countries. The convention this year is in Sparks, Reno, Nevada, at the Nugget Hotel and Resort. Room rates at the Nugget are $89 a night for one or two people in a room. Add $10 extra per night per person for three or four people sharing a room. The room rates include the resort fee, but do not include tax. Convention dates are June 30 through July 7. For more information, visit the ACB website at www.acb.org. There's also a convention article in each issue of the ACB Braille Forum available on the ACB website, and there's an ACB convention email list with some announcements every week from ACB convention coordinator Janet Dickelman. To subscribe to the list, follow the email link from the home page on the ACB website or send a blank message to acbconvention-subscribe at acblists.org. Spring has definitely sprung, and it's time for all those special spring and summertime programs at the APH Museum. Michael Hudson, director of the museum, visits with us on page two. Michael always has some interesting historical tidbits to share, so even if you can't attend the activities, you'll enjoy his comments. April also is the time to begin thinking about eye exams for your guide dog or service dog. On page 3, Deb Lewis shares how people across the United States can obtain free eye exams for their dog guides and service dogs, and she also brings us news of our doggy eye exam clinic here in Louisville. On page four, you'll find some interesting recent posts from various email lists, and on page five is the Sound Prince calendar. Page two. Michael Hudson is the director of the museum at the American Printing House for the Blind, and a number of you who have visited the um, the printing house either at ACB conventions in the past or at other times have, have taken a tour of the museum. Today he's visiting with us to talk about some special activities from from the museum. One of them being a walking tour that's coming up soon. So welcome Michael. Hello Carla. Michael, it's springtime and APH always has a special tour in the spring. This year it's a walking tour? It is. We uh, we like to do a, a tour uh, in the spring months, and, and we kind of vary it each year. This this year we're doing our, our walking tour of our own neighborhood of Clifton, very mm -hmm. interesting place, as yes. you know yourself. Yes, it is. So, so we go up and down the street. We look at the fire station. You know, we look at the kind mm -hmm. of the housing types, the kinds of houses that are here. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we, we talk about the history, of course, of uh, big employers like the Printing House and the Kentucky School for the Blind. We look at restaurants. We look at gas stations. We look at grocery stores. 
Um, and you're saying to yourself, we don't have a grocery store in Clifton, but, but we <laughs> used to, you mm-hmm. know. So, uh, um, and, and, and so we look at some of the buildings that have been reused several different ways and, and some of the more famous people that, you know, uh, uh, that were operated businesses there. Right, right. And the first thing you mentioned was the firehouse. Yeah. And, and people might be saying, well, you know, so what's so special about a firehouse? Uh, but there is something special about what used to be a firehouse. Yeah, of course, today it's it's, it's the Silver Dollar Saloon, right? Right. Um, but, uh, yeah, so it, it that the, the building itself is very unique. It has just the most interesting kind of quasi-Arabic Gothic windows, and uh, uh, it still has the stable building back behind because, of course, all the early fire uh, uh, vehicles were pulled by horses, lots of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's a lot of little features about a lot of these buildings that we're going to be looking at that a, a lot of people that walk by them or drive by them every day probably don't notice. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I find that a lot about a lot of the tours we do. You know, you'll you'll point out some something to somebody about an old building. They'll go, hmm, I never knew that, you know, yeah. because, uh, you know, we, we're interested in going wherever we're going every day. And uh, and we sometimes don't uh, don't think about all the all the buildings that are around us and how they got there and who's used them. And Clifton has certainly undergone a lot of changes since the printing house was first founded in 1858, mm-hmm. because in those days it was um, really really on the outskirts of town. And um, it was a very different neighborhood. I mean, there were a lot of big old mansion kind of houses here farms yes a lot, yeah a lot yes. of farms and the school for the blind really was about the only thing going on out here yeah. uh, you know you had this big huge five-story building the school for the blind and and the, everything else out here was just farms and estates yes uh, the city had not moved out out to east to the eastern part of Louisville now of course now we think of I don't know how you think of it but I think of Clifton is kind of this it's not downtown, but it's an urban, certainly a very urban neighborhood when you think of it that way. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, yes. And and so when you think of the kinds of buildings and architecture that are here, you have the old houses that were pre-Civil War, mm-hmm. um, and, and they were mostly on the big estates that were later broken up into the, the smaller um, plots of ground to then fill in with the other houses um, to today where you have these <laughs> ultra-modern monstrosities on Frankfurt Avenue, um, you know, the big condominium project and the new big apartments yeah. and so on. I mean, it's really a very mixed kind of neighborhood. And even as, say, say think about 50 years ago. Yes. 50 years ago, Frankfurt Avenue was a very gritty, uh, blue-collar uh very true. neighborhood. Very true. Yeah. <clears throat> and uh, a lot yeah. of people remember it from the 60s and 70s sometimes as being kind of a rough place. Well, there was there was a difference between the north side and the south side. Yeah. The, yeah. the north side was sort of the upper part, and mm-hmm. the south side was, um, you're right, that would be a good description yeah. of the south side, um, the streets on the south side. And um, also, it did not have as many you know the restaurants and things it had it had the greasy spoon kind of restaurants yes, yes. And, and, uh, and also uh, a lot of people may not think about it but when uh, when I64 went through it yes. changed the neighborhood a lot very much 
Yeah, yeah because that's true. Uh, you know it it tore out a lot of of the housing down over the hill and uh, and uh, kind of cut Louisville. I mean, cut Clifton off mm-hmm. in one way geographically from downtown Louisville. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that and Bluegrass Creek really create a real boundary between yeah. uh, downtown Louisville and Clifton. So today, when you when Clifton really is a pretty quiet little neighborhood. Yes, except when the motorcycles are running up and down the street. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's always that, isn't there? So, yeah, so that's what we're going to do. That's going to be on uh, Saturday, April 22nd. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to meet at the printing house at 1030. Mm-hmm. We're going to divide into kind of smaller groups because we found over the years that it makes, you know, there's enough uh, traffic on Clifton on a Saturday morning that it sometimes makes it a little hard to hear. Yes. And so we break up into small groups, and then uh, and then we're going to wander, you know, pretty much the, the almost the full length of the neighborhood, staying pretty close to Frankfurt Avenue the whole way. If you are listening and you're interested in some excerpts from past APH Tours, um, you can find a couple of them in the podcast section, in the sound print section on the KCB website at kentucky-acb.org. We did um, a segment on with excerpts from the Cave Hill Cemetery Tour. We did some excerpts from that, and we also did some excerpts, Mike, from the Industrial Tour. Right. I think that was, was the Industrial Tour. I think that was last year. Yeah, well, yeah. what we've done is we've started kind of uh, uh, burying them. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, like every other, every two, three years, we'll do each one of those. So mm-hmm. uh, uh, next year, I think we'll probably go back to Cave Hill again. And and I keep stumbling across important people. Uh, you know, what we talked about last time we went to Cave Hill was people who were kind of important to either KSB or to APH. Mm-hmm. And I still find there's even more people over there that are buried that have very interesting stories, you know. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. we kind of, you know, we go to their grave, but we really are more talking about their stories. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, of course, Cave Hill is a beautiful place, and it's nice to get out there in the spring. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's a, a very, very historic. It really so, is amazing. So what else is coming up at the museum soon? Sure. So uh, May 13th, Saturday, we're doing our uh, Animals in the Backyard program that we do uh, collaborating with the Louisville Nature Center. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, you know, all of us live, uh, you know, in our own backyards, there are there's animals all around us, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, some of of them we may not like very much. And so we're kind of looking at the animals that live in our neighborhoods with mm-hmm. us, mm-hmm. Um, and it's a it's a hands-on activity. So we're going to be some, uh, you know, the nature center brings over some live animals. Uh, sometimes we've used some uh, some uh, some stuffed mounts that we borrow from KSB, and uh, and yeah. So we're just looking at the animals that we live with here in our own city. You know, starting to look look at how to recognize certain birds by their calls and and, and mm-hmm. things like that. Mm-hmm. That's always a lot of fun. Yes. And so that's going to be 1030 to 1230 on Saturday, May 13th. May 13th. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then in June, we have a couple of programs. Uh, first one is on the 10th uh, on Saturday, again, 1030 to 1230. We're doing, this year we're doing a thing what we're calling the Kids Day. Okay. And uh, what we're doing is, we, I don't know if, you, you, if we talked about this, Carla, but one of the things we started to realize was, you know, we've been doing these Saturday programs now for about 10 years and we kind of have a couple of goals one of them is 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 
is give, giving a sense of pride to folks inside the blindness community of all that has been accomplished by their community over the years. Mm-hmm. And then the other one is kind of educating inside the community about about blindness and what it what it is and what it isn't. Of mm-hmm. course, mm-hmm. because there's so much ignorance, you know, out yes. about about yes. blindness. You know this ten times better than I do. <laughs> so um, our kids' day is. We've started doing this thing. We have what we call Museum Education Associates, and that's to try and make sure that there is a blind person at every one of our education programs who help who can help lead the program, uh, because we find that that it just really helps us accomplish that second goal so much better. If there's somebody who who has lived with blindness to sit and talk to kids about um, about their life, what they can do. You know what what the challenges and obstacles and how they overcome them, um, and so we're going to bring in three of our uh, education associates that we've recruited and trained here in the local community, and work with kids to kind of answer their questions about blindness and then demonstrate, you know, uh, what uh, kids can do to be more at ease when they're around people who are blind or visually impaired. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we love kids because you know the great thing about kids is that they they will. They will ask you anything. <laughs> they sure will. <laughs> and, you know, adults, we're all so afraid that we're going to offend somebody. Oh, yeah. That sometimes we end up ignoring them. Yes. Uh, does that make sense to you? Oh, it does. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and But kids, <laughs> they don't have, they haven't been taught that yet. And so, you know, at an early, we think it's great if we can get them together and, uh, and and have our education associates come in and, and, and just start getting people to understand, you know, wh- what does it mean, you know, yeah. and, and, and what is its impact? Right. And how do you get, a, and how do you get around it? Right. Yeah, the kids, the, the adults will say, um, oh, let's see, have, have you been, they want to say, have you been blind all your life? They'll say, <laughs> have you been, uh, have you been that way all your life? Because <laughs> they don't want to say that horrible word. And the kids will just yeah. say, you know, were you ever able to see? <laughs> yeah, how do you eat? Can yes, you eat? the adults aren't going to do that, you know. No, no. And, you know, uh, that's the thing. Uh, it, it's it's actually very refreshing, you know, inside the blind community, you know, all these words that we use, you know, that sighted people worry about a lot. Yeah. Yeah, they really stress. Uh, you know? They do. They worry that they're yeah. going to offend somebody, and that's and that's you know people don't want to hurt somebody else's feelings. Right. Um, but you know, inside the blindness community, I mean, there's, I mean, and I'm not, you know, I'm not blind myself. You know that, but you know, I've been around you guys a lot, and I, and you know, I, it's it's not something that 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 most blind people worry about. Right. As much as you might, as sighted people seem to think they worry about. That's it. right. That's right. That's yeah. right. So that's Kids Day. Okay. And then, and then the next program is is we always do during the summer. We do a couple of Braille for the sighted classes, mm-hmm. where we're basically just introducing the code primarily to kids, and and uh, we do that in two sessions: one in June on the seventeenth, June seventeenth, and one in July on the fifteenth. And uh, the first one deals with uncontracted Braille, and then the second one we start looking at the music code, the math code, and contracted Braille. Mm-hmm. Wow. And kids love that. Mm-hmm. They do. Yes. I mean, uh, Braille is a fascinating, fascinating code, and when kids love they really are fascinated with how it works, How and once they start to understand it, how, how flexible and simple it is. Right, right. So are we going to have a Bards and Storytellers this year? We, we are. We are. 
now I'm not ready to announce the July Bards and Storytellers. I'm working on that one, but okay. I am. I do want to talk about the one in August, which okay. is because it's kind of cool and it has a local angle. Okay. So that's going to be on Saturday, August 26th, from one to three. Okay. Uh, and for those of your listeners that aren't familiar with it, Bards and Storytellers, the program we've been doing for more than 10 years, that celebrates this tradition of entertainers, singers storytellers, songwriters, writers inside the blindness community. Kind of the, the blind community as muse, the blind community as community memory, you know, mm-hmm. uh, which has been there from the beginning, from right, right back to the Homer, right? Right. So uh, the one in August, on August 26th, we're going to celebrate. Have you ever heard, Carla, of a folk duo named Bob and Mac? No. Okay, well, guess where they went to school? Where? Kentucky School for the Blind. Really? Who are they? They How come they, I don't they, know who they this graduated is? in if I remember right, right after World War One or in the early twenties. Oh my goodness. Yes. And they were a duo and they, they got on uh uh the radio station in Chicago, uh, there was a, a big barn dance radio program up there that they became famous on, recorded a number of of, of albums. And uh, and today, no one even knows who they are, but, but they are considered to be one of the sources that inspired Bill Monroe as he was developing bluegrass music. Really? And, of course, back then there was no such thing as country music. You know, uh, it was all called hillbilly music. Right. And uh, and that's what that was kind of the genre they were in. Mm-hmm. And uh, so what we're going to be doing for our Bards and Storytellers program is kind of exploring the history, introducing people to Bob and Mac, telling their story, and then hopefully, now this has not been totally worked out, so I don't want to make any promises that we don't deliver on, but what we're, we're going to try and do is get some musicians in to play some of their music live. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, that'd be good. Can. That would be yeah. great. Yeah. So Bob and Mac, think about that. Yeah. And, and they were quite famous in their own way back in the 20s and early 30s huh. uh, because they were on this big Chicago radio station that that was clear channel so it broadcast all over the country right um and then you know after more modern music forms came in they were just kind of forgotten yes they they actually graduated from ksb huh well well it sounds like there's a lot of interesting things coming up i'm sure there will be a lot more we will want to have you back to talk about more programs and more activities because it's not only fun to find out and be able to participate in um, the activities if, if you live here around the printing mm-hmm. house, but mm-hmm. but um, we do we get some feedback from our listeners uh, around the country. They like to know what's happening at the yeah. printing house, what's going on, and yeah. um, and some and some of the neat things that are. That are that are taking place. We did um, uh, have a couple of little uh, quick sound bites from the Readers Theater last oh, good. week, good. and and it was it was good. Um, actually, we featured Sue Ellen Milo. Oh, and Sue Ellen, <laughs> the best. She, she she was she was really good. But I'll tell you also that first. Um, play yeah. uh, with Pam Cox and Darren, and Darren. Harbor. Yeah. They were superb, yeah. and and you just kept thinking, well, which is best? What is good? And, and it was all good. It was just <laughs> they really were good. all good. They really yeah. were. Everybody had their own, you know, moments, and 
Yeah. Now, the, the way that it was six plays by this mm-hmm. American playwright named David Ives, and mm-hmm. so everybody had good parts. And mm-hmm. but Sue Ellen was she, Sue Ellen Milo was a she was quite a revelation. So <laughs> we're looking forward to doing some more with her. Yeah, she she loved it. We got an interview with her too, and that was oh, fun. Good, so. good. Yeah, she was a first timer. So yes. it was great to have some new actors. Uh, and uh, and yeah, Sue Ellen had some lines that just cracked me up every time. <laughs> Well, thank you so much. We're really looking forward to more good things from the museum. Lots of lots of fun this summer. And, of course, as always, when the fall and the winter come around, the, the fun doesn't stop. So we'll feature that, too, as, it, okay. as the seasons Thanks, change. Carla. Send to Braille is a free tool for creating a Braille file quickly in Windows. It adds a shortcut to your Send to Folder menu. Once installed, simply point to a file right-click, select Send To, select Braille, to create a quick Braille file instantly. Download Send To Braille from the American Printing House for the Blind at tech.aph.org LT. APH offers the easy-to-use Wilson Digital Recorder version 6. Holds up to 12 hours of messages. Choose higher voice quality with less recording time or more recording time with lower voice quality. Now has the ability to check the number of saved messages. For the Wilson Digital Recorder, call the American Printing House for the Blind toll-free 800-223-1839 or visit shop.aph.org. Page 3. In April, several things take place. We just heard from Mike Hudson, and uh, he's telling us about some of the things that go on at the printing house at the museum in April and other times during the spring and summer. And now we're going to talk about our guide dogs and service dogs. And with me is Deb Lewis. Deb is the immediate past president of the Kentucky Council of the Blind and also the immediate past president of the guide dog users of Kentuckyana. So welcome, Deb. Hello, Carla. Deb, we have uh, talked each year about eye exams that are available for guide dogs and service dogs, and this year we are going to be once again doing our clinic here in Louisville for those eye exams. But before we talk about the clinic, let's talk about just how people around the country can sign up to obtain some free eye exams for their dogs. And they do have to sign up in order to do this. You can't just walk in someplace and get it done. So give us the details on this. You must sign up at acvoeyeexam.org and the uh, email they will send back to you has a registration number in it and it is being required this year that you bring a copy of that registration email so you'll need to if you can't print it out send it to someone who can and have them give it to you Um, they you can register by phone if you're blind or visually impaired and can't use the computer, but it's really easy to register online. If you have any computer skills at all, you'll probably be able to do it. Uh, The number is 208-466-7624. And they said that, you know, please try to register online. They have very, that number is not uh, 
heavily staffed. I guess they, they mm-hmm. don't always have someone to answer it. Now, this is a project sponsored by the, is it the American College of? American Co- College of Veterinary Ophthalmology and the Stokes Pharmaceutical Company. Mm-hmm. And this, uh, this phone number is in Idaho? Yes, so it's yeah. two hours behind Kentucky in time, right? Right. Right, on Mountain Time, so keep that in mind if you're going to be using the telephone number. And this is something that they do every year. The The eye exams don't happen in April, so, so you sign up in April. Between April 1st and April 30th, and if you're past that date, you're not going to get registered. So okay. get it done early so you don't forget. Right, so it's very important to to get that registration done. And then the eye exams happen in May in most cases. Now, we're going to be offering a time when people can bring their guide dogs and their service dogs uh, one day at Roundabout. They can come during the first part. So tell us about that. Well, Dr. Erica Tolar, the local animal ophthalmologist, is available this year for us on June 9th. You know, don't panic. They'll still take the information. They'll still give you the eye exam, even though it's not in May. Uh, but she had this time slot available. It is on May, on um, yeah, June 9th from 3:30, and we're going to say registration closes at 4:45. So you'll have to be there by 4:45 because your dog's eyes will probably be um, dilated unless for some reason you really can't have your dog's eyes dilated. But most dog's eyes will be dilated, and it takes 10 to 15 minutes for them to fully dilate so they can look into them. Uh, so you'll, we're going to close our registration by 4.45, so Dr. Tolar can be out of there shortly after 5. Yes. And then you will also, I would imagine, need to plan if, if you're not staying for other roundabout activities but you're just coming for that eye exam uh, you would probably need to plan on hanging around a little bit afterwards so that your dog's eyes could then get back to normal before you go out and have it be doing its guiding things again yeah it says on the website that it shouldn't affect their work very much but it could and mm-hmm. i would just want to err on the safe side and right. say, let's just, uh, you know, stay a little longer and let right. them get back to normal. Yeah. And it takes about two hours for them to go back totally, you know, to normal. Right. Completely. Right. Okay. Um, and and that will be a, a usual roundabout day also. We'll have other activities going on from 3.30. We'll have the dinner as usual, and that will be a bingo night. So if, if a person is coming in with a guide dog or a service dog and they would like to stay for dinner and bingo, they'd certainly be welcome to do so. And let me review again. You must have proof of the animal's certification. That's like your school ID or some copy of papers that you got when you graduated. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, with your service dog, um, a copy of your certification email, so that will have your registration number in it. Okay, so you have to have proof of certification. It can't just be like a pet dog or, um, you know, a dog that has has no um, certification uh, related to it. So. 
um, that that is important. So let's in reviewing, let's let's be sure again that people understand that this must be done. The the sign up must be done in April. Um, between now and April 30, you need to visit the website. And let's give that again, Deb. The website is um, acvoiexam.org. So it'd be A C V as in Victor O E X A M dot O R G. Okay, and uh, you sign up there. And and Deb, you know, some people are probably sitting out there saying, "I just really, I have a, such a hard time signing up." But um, but you handle yours through the computer, right? Right. Right. And I am not real tech savvy, so <laughs> I can do it. Really, you can too. I wasn't going to say that, but... <laughs> if you're really, really stuck, call 208-466-7624 during the regular working hours. Monday through Friday. In Idaho. In Idaho, so they're two hours Two hours behind Eastern Time. Yes. And if you can't make that eye exam at United Crescent Hill Ministries, 150 State Street here in Louisville, on the 9th of June, then you'll need to call Dr. Erica Tolar on your own and see if she'll see you at her regular office. Right. Now, that's in Louisville, but this is a nationwide... Um, a nationwide opportunity. So we have a lot of Sound Prince listeners in other places. Whether you live in Kentucky or you live in California or you live in Arkansas, wherever you live, this is available to you. And uh, Deb, if a person doesn't know of a, a, um, uh, a doctor in their area, can ACVO refer them to someone? Yes, they have. Uh, lists on their website. Well, this is a, a wonderful opportunity for for people with guide dogs and service dogs to obtain a, a very valuable service that can sometimes alert you to a problem that's just beginning and maybe can be addressed before it becomes a real problem. Yes, they say this is a screening only, that they're mm -hmm. not going to give you medication at this clinic or, you know, they're going to just tell you there's a problem and you'll set an appointment for a later date to mm -hmm. discuss that problem unless your mm -hmm. ophthalmologist does something different. Right. But it also lets you know that everything is okay. Yes. And that's, that's a good thing. It's very important. And most of the time that's the case. Yes. When we've done this before, there have been a couple of times that they have found that a dog is beginning to develop a cataract or, or, or something of that type. But it's it's really great when most of the people that come in are coming out with smiles. No problem. So, well, thank you so much. We appreciate it and look forward to another good guide dog eye clinic coming up in June. Sounds wonderful to me, and I'm expecting my dog's eyes to be perfect. <laughs> right. Me too. Thank you. You're welcome. Page 4. The ACB List. This article was posted on March 29, 2017 by Kelly Gask and is from the New York Times. It is entitled, To Become a Better Cook, Sharpen Your Senses. Kate McDermott describes it as the sizzle wump.
It's the sound a pie makes when it's perfectly baked, said Mrs. McDermott, the author of Art of the Pie. The sizzle is the sound of hot butter cooking the flour in the crust, melding it into a crisp golden lid. The whump is the sound of the thickened filling bumping against the top crust as it bubbles at a steady pace. I call it the heartbeat of the pie, she said. Miss McDermott, who is 63 and lives in Port Angeles, Washington, leads intensive baking seminars across the country. But before she became a pie coach, she was a professional musician. I experienced the world primarily through sound, she said. I've been listening to pies since I started baking them. Any experienced cook knows that there is much more to baking than just taste. There is touch, tapping the top of a pie to make sure it is completely firm. Smell, inhaling the changing scents of the crust as it bakes. Sound, listening to its heartbeat. And sight, watching for the juices to turn thick. Learn to use all five senses in the kitchen and you'll become a better cook, especially if you sharpen the ones that are less associated with cooking, hearing, touch, and smell. Cooks with visual impairments who cannot see the golden brown of a pie crust or the shine of perfectly scrambled eggs know this better than anyone. The cook and writer, Christine Ha, 37, said that touch has become her primary guide in the kitchen since she began losing her sight soon after starting college. It's like my fingertips have become my eyes, she said. I can learn so much more by touch than I would have thought. Miss Ha, who lives in Houston, learned to cook only after she could no longer see. Like about 90% of visually impaired people, she is not completely blind. She can see some light and color and describes her view of the world as like looking into a steamy mirror. All the more impressive, then, that in 2012 she won the third season of the frenetic television cooking competition MasterChef. She started cooking with her late mother's deep-fried spring rolls, reverse engineering them through touch and hearing as well as taste and smell. Her fingers test the pliability of the wrappers. She listens for the sound the bubbling oil makes when she throws in a bit of filling to test its heat. She taps the frying rolls with tongs to test whether the shells are crisp and blistered. David Linden, a neurobiologist at Johns Hopkins University and the author of the book Touch, confirmed that the fingertips become more sensitive in people who are blind from birth and in those who learn to read Braille. Hearing and touch become more acute in the absence of sight, he said. The part of the brain dedicated to gathering information from the eyes actually shrinks in size, while the parts that receive signals from the ears and touch-sensitive nerve endings grow larger. Dr. Linden said, however, there is no comparable adaptation for people who lose their ability to taste and smell, a condition called anosmia, A-N-O-S-M-I-A. People who become anosmic are much more likely to stop cooking and eating than people who become deaf or blind, he said. Anosmics 
are also at much greater risk for depression and suicide. The shared experience of food seems to be one of the things that makes us human. Kate Crohan, who teaches cooking at the Perkins School for the Blind in Watertown, Massachusetts, said that culinary education for the blind often relies on heating prepared foods in microwaves, a safe and practical option, but one that eliminates much of the sensory experience. Ms. Crohan, 68, has been blind since birth, but she took over the family kitchen when she was 11 after her mother's death cooking for her father and five siblings. She has been cooking without sight for so long that she is entirely comfortable around sharp knives, boiling water, and raw ingredients. An organized kitchen is more than half the battle, said Ms. Crohan, who has memorized the location and shape of key ingredients like baking soda, flour, and onions. I don't waste a lot of time finding things. These workarounds can be useful to any cook. Many of the important cues in any kitchen have nothing to do with sight or taste. Distinguishing the sound of a boil versus a simmer. Knowing the feel of a rare steak versus a medium well one. Biting into pasta as it cooks to catch the brief, perfect moment between chewy and soft. For most of human history, children learned those cues simply by being near the stove. But today, unless they spend a lot of time in a kitchen, their sensory cooking skills may be limited to listening for the moment when the microwave popcorn stops popping. Those children grow up to be cooks who focus on reading and rereading recipes, often at the expense of paying attention to the stove. But recipes are inherently limited when it comes to sensory information. An instruction like simmer over low heat for 30 minutes until thickened can produce endlessly different results. The recipe doesn't know what your stove considers low heat. It doesn't know what your pan is made of. It doesn't know what thickened looks like to you. That's why the best cooks learn to work not just with their minds and their taste buds, but also with all their senses. The cooking teacher, James Peterson, uses a chicken breast to teach students how to feel for doneness because it has thick and thin areas. As it cooks in the skillet, keep your fingers moving from the thin part to the thick, he says. You'll be able to feel how the heat gradually moves through the meat. Edna Lewis, the doyen of American Southern cooking taught that listening to a cake is the best way to know when it's done. A cake that is still baking makes little bubbling and ticking sounds, but a finished cake goes quiet. The chef, Justin Smiley of Upland in Manhattan, built the short rib dish that made him famous by seeking not a certain flavor, but a certain mouthfeel. I knew how to get the flavor when I wanted it, he said, but the texture was the challenge. Like any chef, he knew how to braise a collagen-rich cut of meat to make it meltingly tender and umami-rich. But he wanted more, the crust of a steak and 
for good measure the juiciness of prime rib. Eventually, by steaming the meat in big pieces and applying a coat of cracked peppercorns, he reached his goal. According to Dr. Linden, this quest makes sense. The most universally liked mouthfeel across human cultures is a crispy crust around a soft interior, like Middle Eastern falafel, Japanese tempura, Italian arancini, Indian samosas, and French fries. In Mr. Smiley's thrice-roasted chicken recipe, cooked first on the stovetop, then in the oven, then back to the stove to be basted in butter, all three steps move the dish toward a particular mouthfeel as well as flavor. Well before the cooking begins, the chicken is brined for juicy flesh, then air-dried in the refrigerator for crisp skin. All along the way, Mr. Smiley is touching, listening, sniffing, prodding, paying attention to all the cues that make the dish transcend the category of roast chicken. Sensory cooking is the opposite of technique, Mr. Smiley said. The formulas you learn in culinary school won't make you a chef, but cooking with all your senses will. A multi-sensory approach to food is not only practical, but also all the rage. Ever since the chef, Heston Blumenthal, put headphones on his guests so they could listen to his dish, Sound of the Sea, while they ate it, and Grant Atchett's served a deep breath of lavender-scented air at Alenia, it arrived at the table trapped in a pillow, chefs have been trying to create dishes that challenge our assumptions about how we experience food. The most recent multisensory development is the connection between food and autonomous sensory meridian response, or ASMR. A newly defined sensory state, ASMR is a kind of pleasurable shivering or tingling that spreads along the scalp, upper back, and shoulders in response to soothing, repetitive sounds. Originally, these included soft whispering, pages turning, or having one's hair brushed. Now, ASMR devotees have discovered food. Video series like Silently Cooking and Peaceful Cuisine have no talking, no music, nothing to distract from the sounds of cooking. The rasp of a knife shaving chocolate, the rhythmic scrape of a whisk whipping egg whites, the glug-glug of olive oil pouring into a pan. Even eating sounds have ASMR devotees, especially if it involves chewing candy or whispering at the same time. ASMR may provide a pleasurable new way for Ms. McDermott to experience pie. She learned that she had celiac disease in 2006 and can no longer eat most of the pies she teaches others to make, though she has devised a gluten-free crust recipe. When a particularly beautiful specimen comes out of the oven, she said she appreciated it nonetheless. It doesn't matter if I can't eat this pie, she said. I can see it, I can smell it, I can touch it. The only sense I can't have for it is taste. 
Page 5. The Sound Prince Calendar. April 6, the American Council of Blind Lions has its monthly conference call. This is an opportunity for lions from around the country to share ways in which they are involved in their local clubs. We'll be discussing some constitution and bylaw amendments for ACB lions that will permit us to create chapters of blind lions around the country. We'll also be talking about spring activities in local lions clubs. At 9 p.m., the phone number is 712-432-3900 and the code is 796096. On April 7, the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind Roundabout is from 3.30 to 10 p.m. Includes one-on-one help with cooking, technology, family trees, and more beginning at 3.30. Group discussion at 5. Dinner, $5 per person at 6. Games and crafts from 7 to 10. At United Crescent Hill Ministries in Louisville, call 502-895-4598 to sign up. April 8 is the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind Board meeting at 11 a.m. on the standard conference line. April 9, KCB Next Generation, the KCB chapter for individuals 40 and under, will meet at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, also on the conference line. April 9, ACB Families will have an All Things Convention workshop. Whether you are going to Reno or planning to listen from home on ACB Radio, this is your chance to find out what's going on. Your questions answered about tours, exhibits, special programs, workshops, registration, and so much more. You can unlock the mysteries of the convention program, newspaper, and other sources of information. At 9 p.m. Eastern Time by phone, this is a national call, so everyone is invited to participate. At 712-432-3900, enter code 796096. On April 11, the Support Alliance of the Visually Impaired, SAVVY, will have its monthly meeting from 1 to 3 p.m. Central Time. Participate in Low Vision Fair at Wendell Foster's Young Meeting House. 815 Triplet Street in Owensboro. For more information, contact Rick Bogus at 270-684-4418 or Bill Roberts at 270-485-8170. On April 13, the Kentucky Council of Citizens with Low Vision will have their support group meeting from 1.30 to 3.30 p.m., Low Vision Tips and Tricks from Jennifer Gindeman, Occupational Therapist and Low Vision Specialist at the Kentucky Lions Eye Foundation. There will also be many other resources and ideas and tips shared at the support group. It meets each month at United Crescent Hill Ministries in Louisville. For more information, call 502-895-4598. Also on April 13, the Northern Kentucky Council of the Blind will have its conference call meeting at 7 p.m. Eastern on the line at 605-475-4700. The code is 155619. For more information about the Northern Kentucky Council, call Jerry Slusher at 859-781-7369. April 14 is... The GLCB Roundabout, 
There will be one-on-one help with cooking, technology, family trees, and more at 3.30, group discussion at 5, dinner at 6, bingo, cards, and crafts 7 to 10, $2 to play bingo. At United Crescent Hill Ministries in Louisville, call 502-895-4598 to sign up. April 16 is the Kentucky School for the Blind Alumni Board Meeting by conference call at 8 p.m. And on, and on April 17 is the Kentucky Council of the Blind Board Meeting at 7.30 p.m., both on the conference number at 605-475-6006, code 2944444. April 21 is another GLCB roundabout. The usual schedule applies. Call 502-895-4598 to sign up. On April 22, the American Printing House for the Blind Museum presents a walking tour of Clifton. From 10 a.m. to 12.30 p.m., join APH for a walking tour of the Clifton neighborhood, starting at the historic 1883 building on the grounds of the American Printing House for the Blind. Learn about the evolution of the area from a sparsely populated rural community in 1830 to a densely settled urban Louisville neighborhood. This is free, but best for older children and adults. For more information, call the museum at 502-899-2213. On April 24, Guide Dog Users of Kentuckiana will have its conference call business meeting at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the usual conference line. April 26, the Bluegrass Council of the Blind invites you to their peer support group meeting from noon to 2 p.m. at the BCB office, 1093 South Broadway in Lexington. For more information, call 859-259-1834. April 28 is another GLCB roundabout, but this time it also includes the spring quarterly meeting. One-on-one help with technology and family trees begin at 3.30. Bargain table and meeting sign-in at 4.45. Program and speakers at 5.15, dinner at 6. And business meeting and election of officers from 7 to 8.30. $5 per person for the entire event. At United Crescent Hill Ministries in Louisville, sign up by calling 502-895-4598. The calendar for May includes the following highlighted activities. There will be no roundabout on May 5 or May 19. On May 6, the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind presents its annual derby party. Lots of fried chicken and other yummy party food, games and prizes and fun all day long. Come early or late. Stay all day or just a little while. Doors open at 10 a.m. The Kentucky Derby runs around 6.30, so the party will wind up between 7.30 and 8 p.m. $5 per person at United Crescent Hill Ministries. For more information, call us at 502-895-4598. On May 9, celebrate the 175th anniversary of the Kentucky School for the Blind at a special Founders Day dinner to be held at KSB. Ticket information and other details coming soon. May 16 is the next Library Without Walls conference call. Share great books with book lovers from across the country, sponsored by the Library Users of America, LUA. 
More details and the conference number coming soon. On May 27, KCB Next Generation invites everyone to participate in a Bell of Louisville lunch cruise. Contact Amanda Salm at 502-750-1774 for more information on this and other Next Generation activities. On June 10, the KCB Next Generation invites everyone to its all-council picnic to be held at the Brown Park in Louisville. More details from Amanda Selm at 502-750-1774. On June 30 to July 7 is the 56th Annual National Conference and Convention of the American Council of the Blind in Reno, Nevada. Call us at 502-895-4598 or visit the ACB website at www.acb.org for more information. And finally, the Kentucky School for the Blind Alumni Association invites everyone to its 2017 reunion, August 4 and 5 at the Ramada Inn North, 1041 Zorn Avenue in Louisville. For more information, call Adam or Carla Rushville at 502-897-1472. If you have questions about the Kentucky Council of the Blind, or you need information on resources for people with vision loss, call us at 502-895-4598 or email us at kcb at kentucky-acb.org. Sound Prince is a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind and is heard each week on ACB Radio Mainstream at acbradio.org, Central Kentucky Radio I at radioi.org, and the KCB website at www.kentucky-acb.org. Complete schedule information is also available on the website. Sound Prince is underwritten by the Louisville Downtown Lions Club, and by the American Printing House for the Blind. This is Carla Rushable for Soundprints. Have a great week, everybody.